0: This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers.
1: Hey, and welcome back to the Young Makers podcast. I'm your host, Kenzie Aaron of Aaron Iron and Steel. Let's get right into it. This is the podcast by Young Makers and for everybody, brought to you by the Makery Network, as you already know. So today, I've got a fantastic guest in the studio, someone I've been wanting to talk to for a long time, a young maker, a young knife maker, who I really admire. And so, without further ado, let's get right into it. I've got Jesse Hu. Hello. So... Yeah, before we get into anything, and before you know anything about him, let's get into what we've been doing this last week. So I've finally been getting some work done. Now that I'm settled into back to school, it's, you know, my schedule is starting to make sense. So I've got handles on these two knives I've been working on. They're all shaped up. It's all done. I just need to sharpen today, and they're gone tomorrow. So that's really exciting. Um, my grandpa lent me a bunch of money for my belt sander when I first bought it, and this will finally pay him back completely. So that's like, just it's going to feel really good. And huge, huge, huge news. I, I feel like I need a jingle or an alarm or something, because this is really exciting here. I'm getting a power hammer. Yes, oh it's my true. God. Yeah. So some of you guys may follow Ethan Hardy on Instagram, and he's going to be renting out some tools, and I called dibs on his little giant power hammer. So I'll be getting that end of October, beginning of November time when I move into my new shop, and that's just so exciting. So I've just been thinking about that. I can't think about anything else at all. And I'm working on restoring a couple of planes, like hand planes for woodworking, because I want to my desk is terrible, actually. It's not. It's, it's Ikea, and I don't like the shape, and the whole thing is just... It doesn't make sense for my room. And so I need a new desk, and I've decided I'm just going to build it with hand tools because apparently I have that much time. Um, so, yeah, I'm getting really into hand tool woodworking all of a sudden. I can't focus on any one thing. I get distracted. You know, like, I'm like a pigeon. So... Which is something about my guest today that I really admire is his focus on and dedication to knife making and consistency. So I want, I'm excited to talk to him. So enough about me. Um, you guys know me, whatever. Uh, Jesse, what's up? Alright, so this past
0: week i sort of been working on two different knives. One of them on the work side of the things where it was a commission from a customer. And the other was sort of a, a first time test of me making a Japanese pattern blade uh yeah japanese shape um so the first one i really just worked on the handle and final hand sanding and the etching uh it was my first two-part handle with rich light near the blade and curly maple that i stabilized in the house for the back of the handle uh that one went pretty well uh i sort of did my traditional round handle design with a grind right next to the blade on the handle so that's good for pinch grip and the second one, it was just a whole new world. Uh, it was my first time doing facets with that much detail. I think there's um, six different planes on each side. And that was really fun. Like I got to experiment on the grinder. It took me about an hour just to get the facets done on the grinder and a bunch more hours for hand sanding it.
1: So yeah, really this week I've just been finishing up two different blades. And that, that faceted handle, I've seen it on your Instagram and it's stunning. So you guys should check that out. But our listeners have no idea, unless they follow you, which they should, but they have no idea who you are at all right now because for some reason I decided to shake things up today and we, com- we just skipped the part where you introduce yourself at the beginning. So, you know, hopefully you guys aren't too confused right now, but... Why don't why don't you take a second to introduce yourself, and then we'll take it way back, and you know you can tell your backstory, the origin story. <laughs> All right, so yeah, my name is Jesse. Who I'm
0: eight, I just turned eighteen, and I'm a I'm a freshman in college, going to University of Michigan, but I'm studying remotely, so I still have time to work on my knives. Um, I've been in the world of blacksmithing for about four years. Like I've known about it, and I dip my toe in it by getting a few bricks, a hairdryer, and some charcoal. Uh, Yeah, I I didn't really do much then. It was just like me, yeah, like I said before, dipping my toes in and feeling out how the craft felt. Um, I started to get serious about it about a year and a half ago, where one of the biggest milestones was I got my own anvil. It was a Petting House 165 from Rigid. And that was the thing that really spurred me on to make more stuff, make better stuff. Like, I think a lot of young makers have seen Alex Deal's video on forging a bunch of leaves. I started off by making a bunch of leaves. Like, I think I made 40 or 50 of them, and that's what really gave me the basis for my hammer technique. And, yeah, before I actually got my first anvil, I tried to make a few knives, but I really had no idea what I was doing. And I don't even think I can call them knives because... They weren't heat treated they had cracks all over them and they were so thick they could be considered bats like yeah so i've been in the craft seriously for about a year and a half and i've been focusing most of my time working on chef's knives um the the people that have inspired me to really work on chef's knives are Marco mamassi and bob kramer like man those two guys are crazy their stuff is just incredible oh yeah Okay. Yeah, um,
1: that's basically all I have to say about myself. No, that's great. So you started out, like, once you started forging, you went straight to knives? or you? Oh, you said you did some leaves first. Yeah. So you just went straight leaves to knives? Yeah, basically. And you don't do much um, just for blacksmithing anymore. It's all blades. Yeah. Awesome. So... Your Instagram account is one of my favorite accounts that I follow, like by far. And I I really like how you consistently post and your posts are all, they're varied, you know, so you you showcase different aspects and I love your progress posts. Like honestly, I've basically, I've saved a couple of yours for when I do some Western style because of your forging progression. And I want to try and follow that. Like I really... And I admire how you've gotten everything nailed down. You've got a process that you've figured out for yourself, and now you're putting out a lot of really consistent, really good-looking knives. And you've you've created your own style too, so they stand out. At you know, it's almost it's pretty recognizable as being your knives, and all of that really comes together to make a really good business. And so, I know I usually do this question a lot later, but That's the biggest thing that sort of interests me about you is how you've created this, you know, really nice business model. So I wonder if you'd like to talk to that.
0: Yeah, I'd love to. So I started my knife Instagram about a year ago when I started to really get more into knife making and my personal account. I really don't think a lot of people on there want to see just knives every day. So um, I made my knife account and the first thing I posted was like knives I made in the past, like five consistent posts. But then I realized that that's what a lot of other knife, po- knife, uh, Instagrams posted just like finished knives and not many people actually like posted the pro the process. And it's sort of like, if you wanted to become a knife maker and you wanted to look to Instagram for inspiration, you'd have to like dig through a bunch of different, um, knife maker instagrams and pick out each post for like which part you want the help on so i sort of got into the mindset of i'm gonna post everything i do every major step that i do so that if someone wants look at my post they'll be able to just look at those posts and know exactly what parts of the process that i do so yeah if i was yeah basically if i was just starting off and I looked at my Instagram, I wanted to be able to look at that Instagram and get a good foothold.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you do a fantastic job of that too. So I would like to just take a second right now and say, like you new and young knife makers, I would highly recommend that y- you know that you go check out his Instagram and get some inspiration and lo- you'll definitely learn something if you look there. Like especially, like I said, your forging progressions are my favorite because that's still something that I'm trying to dial in right now, and so I really, really love those posts. Now you sell your work too, right? Uh, yeah. And is that all through Instagram right now? Uh, yes, it is all it is all through Instagram.
0: Um, some of them have been through like family friend connections, but the vast majority are over
1: Instagram. Yeah. And you're doing custom orders, or you're just ma- selling what you're making. Um, I sort of do both.
0: Like some of the knives that I've sold, I show that I've made like three chef knife forgings, and sometimes people will just ask if they're available. And if they are available, I'll tell them that they are, and then they'll just wait for me to do whatever I can to those knives, and they'll just buy them when they're finished. So it's so some are custom, like they tell me what to do but most of them are i just do what
1: feels right yeah which is it's nice to have that flexibility in your business too cuz i've got a, right now all of my orders have been custom and so sometimes it feels a little bit uh i don't know creatively dampening almost so i'm taking a now that i've finished i'm taking a short break from customs and i'm just going to make i don't know two or three knives just With no plan, I almost and see what I can come up with. And so, I mean, I don't mean to advertise for myself here, but like, if you guys, if you're looking for a knife, I'm gonna have some available in the next month or so. (sighs) Shameless. But, you know, you have a really good process going, though, is something that I've definitely noticed on your Instagram is you figured out how you like to do things. And obviously, that's always growing. And it's something that I'm working on right now, especially handles. Like, I've figured out how I do my blades. You know, mostly I forge the tang first, and then I, you know, forge in a tip, draw everything out. And uh, I can grind and hand sand a blade in one day, thanks to my disc sander. I can finish out two blades in a day, which is nice. Uh, I could forge two in a day. So the way I've got all that set up is nice. But my handles, I've really been trying to figure out the best way to fit up and shape them in a timely way, because right now I mess up a lot of hand. like, I'll mess up two handles almost every knife, and when I don't, it's, it's definitely nice, so, uh, I just wonder if you'd like to talk about how you've, over the last couple of years, how you've developed your way, and sort of the progression of that, you know, not in detail, but just give an idea of how it grows, almost, if that makes sense, alrighty,
0: so, My handle started off um, pretty not that well. Like it was sort of just sticks for tangs, and I expected to be able to make hidden tang knives well, and that is definitely not the case. Like hidden tang knives are actually so much more hard than putting scales onto knives, and it it sort of comes down to preference whether you want to make a hidden tang knife or a, uh, I guess, full tang with scales. Like. Yeah. I sort of progressed from the hidden tank to the scales after I figured out how hard it was and after I decided that I was gonna do mainly handles with scales. It was at that point it was just getting the profile directly off of forging after past um after learning from past knives and just learning which shapes fit the hand better. And the pins have stayed mostly the same. Uh, brass pins sometimes they use mosaic pins but yeah that that also comes down to customer's preference
1: yeah and i i gotta disagree with you on the full tang hidden tang thing i i've made a few full tang throughout my quote-unquote career but I've i do now i do exclusively hidden tang because i hate pins so much like i can't stand pins they trying to get them centered and the right spacing so everything looks right. I hate pins. And when you get blowout on the side of a handle and then it's done. Oh, man. Don't, don't <laughs> get me talking about pins. That'll ruin my day. So, you know. I, but I definitely, you know, I'm jealous of people that know how to do full-tang knives because I just don't have experience with it, I guess. But I find that... Um, a hidden tang knife is almost like a wa style handle is the most efficient way to make a knife. It's the quickest. A single piece wa or you know, octagonal shaped handle, I figure is probably the quickest way cuz once the handle's on there straight, everything is straight and you just put tapers on a disk sander, you can hit it all up real quick. Especially if you have a tilting table, which I don't, but yeah, so I definitely I definitely like your handles though they all look really nice and especially that golden ratio one yeah that's the term that one yeah the golden ratio is not made up is it (laughs) nope so now let's take it back to the the order that i usually sort of take the show and let's get into more of the young maker aspect and you're sort of you're starting to grow out of uh being a young maker if you're you're 18 now so i'm glad i caught you before you crossed the threshold which is i don't know somewhere i don't know exactly what the line is but um let you know some challenges that you've faced because of your age as you as you've been making knives um i think the challenge that comes
0: out of being a young maker isn't exactly being young it's what you can do by not being old like paying for tools yourself that's really hard if you don't have a part-time job and you can't really get a part-time job in some places if you're not over a certain age so like as for me I got my first job when I was around 17 so everything before that it was it had to be through my parents or through selling knives and I didn't really sell a lot of knives before like a few months ago so yeah I think the challenge is paying for tools and being able to create with
1: a mindset that you're not like being a burden on your parents. Ooh, that's one we haven't heard on here yet, but that's a fantastic point. And it definitely is hard to like tools are expensive. I got to tools are crazy expensive. And even just like the supplies, sandpaper and getting good sandpaper is something I just started doing recently. And, you know, sandpaper makes a big difference. Nice tools are so Nice. And affording them when you're young is definitely difficult. So that's a really great point. But, you know, obviously there's a flip side to that. And most people I've had on here say there's way more advantages to starting young than there is disadvantages. And so I'd be curious to hear, you know, what makes you glad you started young? Um. Th- there's, a, there's a few things. Um. The first one,
0: you have more free time when you're young to really explore the craft. Like you don't have a five to nine job. You don't have a part-time job. It's just some schoolwork and the rest of the day you have to yourself. Um, so time is one of them. A second one, I feel like more people when they see a young maker, as, comp- as opposed to an older maker, like in their maybe 30 to 40 years old range, they'd they think the younger maker is more impressive. Uh, so I guess in a way it gives you more recognition. Um, and probably the last thing actually, yeah, the last thing builds off of the first one more time. Uh, you can get your journey Smith faster. Like if you're an apprentice for three years at the age of 14, you can get at 17, which is really, really good. And you can just, if you're a journey you can basically turn that into your career. So, if you do that any age, like older than 17, you'll have to be doing something else
1: before you can do the journey Smith.
0: So I feel like a lot of it is time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a lot to be said about the time that you have because you're young, not only, you know, the actual time you're spending with it right now, but time in your life, you know, uh, if you start doing all this type of, you know, making stuff when you're, 15 or however old, it gives you, uh, yeah, 75 years of your life, potentially, where you can be making stuff. And so you could theoretically become a master craftsman in multiple crafts, really, if you focused yourself and dedicated yourself, which I'm terrible at. I keep flip-flopping everywhere, which seems to be the theme of what I'm talking about this episode for some reason. But I think that's because I've been distracted lately. And so I guess I'm just happy that I'm young because I have time to get distracted and I can, you know, go gallivanting off into a hand tool woodworking or jewelry, you know, distraction for a while if I feel like it. But at the same time, I try and keep myself tied down. So, yeah, I think you bring up some really great points. Oh, no. And another thing that I just thought of, you know, recently, too, is... When you're young, you're so creative. Like creativity... I'm sorry, my dog is... This is... <laughs> That's embarrassing. Seems like every podcast host on The Makery has a dog bother them at some point. <laughs> but, sorry. So, young for young people, creativity and learning comes faster and more naturally. And so you're sort of free to create outside of the... It's like, you know, toddlers draw weird stuff, and they say weird things, and it's because they're not bogged down by this idea of what's possible, you know, or these laws that you seem to have to follow, creative laws almost. And I know that sounds a little bit extreme, but it sort of exists in the world that we live in. There's, you know, these boundaries that you just aren't supposed to cross, but as a young maker... You may not know about these boundaries. You haven't had it drilled into you. So it almost opens up this whole opportunity for creativity that may not be there in a lot of adults. And that's not to say that it doesn't exist, but I feel like there's something to be said about, you know, creative young people. And it keeps it with you as you age. Whereas somebody who, you know, goes into a non creative job may. Lose it to some extent, and so I guess that's almost an advantage in itself. If you yeah. catch my drift, yeah, that's, the, sure. that's a a bit of a weird one compared to what other people think. But like, some have been thinking about a lot. So yeah, being a young maker is totally dope, and I highly recommend it. That's the that's my message for today. <laughs> so. I'm really curious to hear about college right now. You said your, it's your first year and it's online. And so I, you know, I just want to hear what's that like? Um, it's about what you would expect. Uh, it's,
0: there's this website called canvas. There's announcements for each class and there's schedules that show you when you have your synchronous and asynchronous lessons. Um. For me, it's a little bit different compared to some others because I live in Arizona and my college is in Michigan, so I'm three hours behind. And my classes would start at 10 in Michigan, but they start at 7 here, so I have to get up at 6.30. And that's been, hasn't been too hard, but it's been kind of annoying when your alarm doesn't ring. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's, it's, it's not really different from like high school. It's just higher level of learning. So what are you studying, if you don't mind me asking? Um, I am studying engineering, and I'm, I want to double major in electrical and mechanical engineering. Um, people say that I'm going to have to be there for like five years, but I came out of high school with a lot of credits, so
1: I, it shouldn't be too hard to graduate in four years. Yeah, so are you expecting, like, are you trying to come out with, you know, a degree in engineering or whatever? and go into engineering or are you trying to apply this to your own business um so this might be
0: the asian in me talking but once i get out of college I'm, i'm gonna get a job in engineering um and really the mindset that a lot of that's been drilled into me is all of like knife making that's on the side like in order to do that you have to sort of build a foundation for yourself first with a uh, either engineering job or some other job, like basically the first thing you have to care about is to like pay your bills and be able to support your family later. Um, like not not to say that you can't support yourself with like knife making. There's many people that do it and there's many people that do it well, but it it's sort of a a chance thing, not chance, just a effort thing. Like it'd be better to do the knife making as a hobby as opposed to Doing the knife making as your only way of sustenance like i've learned over the past few past few months or years that if the moment you start treating knife making as your job and your way of making money as opposed to your hobby
1: that other people enjoy like the craft loses some of its fun so okay so if you had your way and you didn't have to worry about money um what would you what would you do I would, it'd
0: sort of be a combination of a few things. Like, of course, I'd be delving into the world of knives and I'd get myself some really overpowered tools for knife making, but I'd also spend a lot of my time probably backpacking and exploring and trying to learn new sports and stuff.
1: Huh, that's that's really interesting. And so this, this ties in pretty well with another question that I wanted to ask you then, um if if knife making is gonna stay on the side and be a hobby is your plan you know what are your plans with who handmade knives is it just gonna stay as you know a knife company or are you intending to branch it out um
0: as for right now like the way i see things going i i want to sort of just stay a knife uh yeah knife company quote unquote like i don't see myself branching out to really do anything different like making hammers or tools um i also like building off on that i plan to sometime in the next four years test for my journey smith and then maybe test for my master smith sometimes later in life so yeah i'm i think i'm gonna stay at knife thing
1: interesting yeah you you are so much more focused on knives than me though i guess um I, I yeah I I keep mentioning it I don't know why but I I want to try other stuff too but anyways so that brings me you know some of my plans that I haven't mentioned on here yet um the art school in Calgary which is the nearest or well, I guess it's second nearest but the closest city is Edmonton and who wants to go to Edmonton so the art school <laughs> called Alberta University of the Arts or something it's called and they have a contest every year around Christmas time and it's for high school students can enter an art piece and if you win you get a free year I think second and third get half years you know free tuition and then there's some other tuition prizes or you can win some books from the library there or whatever and so I'm hoping to enter and I want to try something I've never done before, which is a nice a nice way to win um, and I want to try and sculpt or carve a hand with like a flower growing out of it or something or holding a flower something like that out of wax and then try and cast it in you know probably copper maybe pewter something easy to cast, which you know is a bunch of stuff I've never tried before, but I'm hoping if I start you know experimenting with it and working on it now then by December I can sort of have something like that and if I could get a free year at art school which sounds like a lot more fun than normal school <laughs> then you know that would sort of be a nice way for me to go and there's there's a woodworking school in Toronto called the unplugged workshop and it's just hand tool woodworking and so you can take like a 3 month course there which sounds like fun so my personal plans which I don't talk about a lot on here right now include just sort of wandering around for a couple years after I get out of high school going between like art school and normal you know a more traditional college or university and just any courses that I want to pick out that uh, can help me grow as a craftsman and expand my business as opposed to getting a degree because I hope you know, narcissistically, I hope to go my whole life without ever working for somebody else. Which, you know, that's a major flex right there for sure. <laughs> but, which is probably a bold choice, I guess. We'll see how it goes. But, you know, I'm an optimistic kid right now, so I, I'm not too worried about it, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's that's sort of some of my... Ideas and plans and I'm getting a power hammer, so like (laughs) I'm I'm just excited about that really And moving into a new shop in a couple months is Another thing that you know, so I'm gonna have to set all that up. I'm getting I'm gonna have a power hammer I'm building a new forge I've recently gotten an anvil so my whole forging area is like gonna be really sweet actually in a couple months and I want to get I want to get a a 12-inch disc sander for blades and handles. Which brings me into another question I wanted to ask you. What's the next tool on the list? Next tool on the list is
0: definitely a heat-treating kiln. Ooh. Like I know Alex Steel just started selling them, and I could probably get them from somewhere else even if he didn't sell them. But I- I'm just waiting for the right moment. Like getting one of those would help so much like i do a lot of hormones and the thing about hormones is that they're really temperature sensitive and i've gotten better at judging the temperatures while the knife is in the forge heating up to be quenched but there's still too much variability to be able to have a hormone in your head and have it appear exactly like it is in your head on the blade and getting a heat treating kiln will make that a lot easier
1: yeah, that's, that's a big one for sure. That's on the list for me, too, uh, sometime in the future. I'm hoping to build a PID control into my forge, which will hopefully let me... I You know, I don't even really want to touch stainless steels. Like, I'm kind of <laughs> scared of them. And I forge all my knives, so stainless just seems excessive. So I'm hoping that a PID control on the forge will get me within, I don't know... Uh, hundred degrees either way, or 50, you know, fifty degrees sounds pretty good. And allow me to heat treat some more complicated carbon steels to get consistent results on things like 50 to 100 or 26C3, which need soaks, um, but are maybe not so ten- temperature sensitive as a stainless steel. So I'm trying to look into PIDs, which isn't cheap in itself, but it's not four grand. <laughs> um so yeah, that's it's on the list for me too. I think mine next next one I'm gonna buy is yeah, like I said, that disc sander. Or as I've mentioned before, I need to get a handle brooch and uh what do you call a file guide for fitting up my hidden tangs. Oh, tools are so expensive. <laughs> oh, yeah. and I need a full I need a new sharpening setup, ground up. I need to completely restart and you do a lot of sharpening videos so i haven't had anyone on here talk about sharpening but i've had a lot of knife makers on so i feel like any consistent listeners have a pretty good idea of the knife making process or they're at least interested in knives because despite my best efforts this is definitely turning into a pretty knife knife heavy podcast although my guest next week if everything goes as planned is uh big into some pottery, a little bit of blacksmithing, a little bit of wood. So I'm excited to talk to him and get a little bit of a change. But so yeah, my listeners understand knives pretty well. Do you want to take us through your sharpening process? I know you've done some Instagram, IGTV videos about it.
0: Yeah, for sure. So sharpening, uh, I started off just using a belt sander and then using a strop later, I mean, like all that's fine and dandy, but it's, it's hard to get a truly keen edge without like waterstones, in my opinion. So uh, sometime during the summer, I came across the YouTube channel, Perfection and I love (laughs) Perfection. Yeah. His videos are great. And he really was the one that inspired me to get some nice waterstones. I had one gifted to me by a friend, uh, a few years ago, it was a Chocera 1000 grit stone, which is one of the greatest gifts you can receive. So I'm really thankful for that. Um, the thing is, right when I got it, I was dumb and didn't know how to fully use it to its potential. So it sort of, after I used it for the first few times, it just sat on my shelf and not being used. And after watching his videos, I brought that out. I got another few stones one a diamond stone and another Chocera stone. And Really, I've just been practicing sharpening with a few older knives. And then on each new knife I make, I go through the process. And I think I've posted every single sharpening process I've done recently on Instagram. And a lot of people tend to like those. Like, those posts kind of go crazy. Like, the last one had 10,000 people see it, which is really crazy. But yeah, um, basically, I was inspired by Perfection and invested in some good water stones.
1: And so you went for the Choicera ones. Yeah. And do you, you like those stones?
0: Yeah, they're great. Like, when I got stones, I knew I wanted splash and goes. I didn't want to have stones that soaked in water because I'm an impatient person in some things and just putting stones in water and waiting 15 minutes. Like, I I'm willing to bet if I got those, I'd leave them in the water and forget about them, which is probably not good for the stones. So... <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. So what's what's your grit progression then? I assume you start on the diamond stone and then move to the the choiceares.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I start on the four hundred atoma, then go to the one thousand, and then the three thousand, and then I strop it. Uh, but before I go to the four hundred, like off of the grinder, my edge is usually at around point zero zero eight inches, somewhere around there. So. It usually doesn't take too much time on the 400 grit. Like, I could probably go straight to the 1,000 grit and still be fine, but I get to use more stones if I use the 400, so...
1: <laughs> yeah, and then do you use that uh, same diamond stone to flatten your whetstones? Yeah, for sure. And it doesn't... it's not too hard on it?
0: Um, not so far. Yeah, it's, it's been fun.
1: Yeah, because I know I've been looking at... I was going to do something very similar... Um, once I, I think once I sell the next knife, it's time for a sharpening, full sharpening setup, especially because I'm, you know, doing hand planes and chisels and stuff now too, I need to sharpen. So right now all I have is, uh, this tiny little diamond stone that I got for Christmas one year and I don't, it doesn't cut much anymore (laughs) and it's only like a half inch or three quarter inch wide and like six inches long. So it's pretty tiny. And then uh an arkansas stone so that's an oil stone and i actually really enjoy using that stone especially for chisels and stuff because it's so hard Mm -hmm. that it really does just like you know make a nice flat surface and then i have a strop which is just a piece of leather loaded up with some polishing compound but not like the really cheap polishing compound that came with these little uh wheels that go on your drill press or your hand drill or whatever for polishing. And so it's, like, I get pretty sharp just because I've been sharpening quite a bit recently and I've got, you know, a pretty good understanding of how to do the burr and everything. And so I can get pretty good results and good enough for anything you might really need. But, you know, I just, yeah, I think I need to get a new sharpening set up and figure it all out. I was going to get the 220 Atoma, but... That's probably too rough. Now hearing you say that the 400 is quick, yeah, because yeah, mine. I mean, I'll I'll often find a burr on the edge sometimes when I get a little lazy. Not lazy, but you know, sometimes I get off the grinder and find a burr. So I get it nice and thin too. uh so maybe you're right. I'll just grab the 400 and then move from there. Although I wonder with the chisel, yeah. So I've, I'm looking into it, sharpening stones are really expensive too, so that's always hard to hard to pick, you know, without knowing what I like, because people complain about stones being too soft, or they make too much slurry, or they're too hard, and I don't know what I like, so picking the right one for me is sort of tricky, but I guess I'm just going to have to commit. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, splash and go is definitely good. So that's great. I haven't talked with about sharpening with anybody on here yet, so that was that was good. And you also mentioned hamones, and so you know that's another thing I don't think we've talked about. I know we talk about Damascus and other finer points of knife making, but hamones are something I've done a little bit of. A very rudimentary, just furnace cement on ten ninety five, quenched into canola oil. So it's very uh, rudimentary hamones, but I'd be interested to hear. Sort of, you know, what draws you to them and your progression into that. Because I've noticed, I've even in the last couple months, I've been following you. I've seen your hormones just take off like nothing else. So, if you want to yeah. talk about that too. So, for the
0: hormones, how I got into hormones, like I've always been infatuated with Japanese blades and katanas, and really the drawing characteristic from them is their their jamones and i've i've tried making like wakizashis and katanas in the past but uh it's really just too too much jumping off the deep end so i figured i'd keep the defining characteristic from them and put the hamones into my blades that i make and as opposed to damascus like i pick hamones over damascus because i feel like without any like previous knowledge on damascus and like how much it costs to like sort of attempt Damascus? I figured the cost benefit for doing Hamones would be um, higher than the one for Damascus. So basically, I'm cheap and Hamones are sort of not not really easier. Like they still Hamones still require a bunch of skill, but yeah, it, it's really just the starting up cost for doing Damascus, and so. What, about a year ago, I started doing the hamones on ten ninety five. Like when you start off doing hamones or Damascus, I think the first thing that everybody does is goes into like blade forums and reads a bunch of forums on there about how to do them. Definitely. And, yeah, I've read so many forums on like hamones and the correct kind of steel, and really, there's there's not a thing that everybody agrees on. Like everybody ag- agrees on different kinds of steel that are best for hamones. So the best thing for me was just to try out all of them and see which one did the best and I started with 1095 that was pretty good but I didn't really get good hormones because I didn't understand that I was overheating the clay so the steel underneath the clay was still getting hard which means I didn't get a hormone. and I didn't realize that until three or four months ago and after I realized that the stars aligned and I started to get pretty decent hormones.
1: so sorry to interrupt does that mean that you're not uh you're doing no soak time when you're heating it up so that the clay stays cool?
0: Um, I've been... When I first started, I didn't really do soak time, but now I sort of keep the blade at a certain temperature for around five minutes, and then I quench. So now I'm doing a soak, but before I wasn't.
1: Oh, okay. So go ahead. And then how are you polishing these out? So I, t- to get
0: the hormones like... For, I saw Alex Steele's video on the Falchion, and I saw that they to 3,500 hand sanding, and and then he mentioned that that wasn't necessary. And then I looked on Blade forums and saw that a bunch of people did 600 or 800 grit. So I decided to to like test it out at 600 grit. And I was getting pretty decent results with 600 grit and polishing with 2,500 grit. So yeah, my process is basically what I just said. Hand sand to 600 grit etch polish, etch polish, until I get a good etch.
1: Yeah, sweet. I know I started out doing the lemon juice, but it's such a such a faint etch, I find. Mm-hmm. Or maybe maybe it is because I was using 1095 too, which wouldn't go as dark as something like a I've always mentioned 26C3 and I don't know why I'm so obsessed with it. It's also known as spicy white steel because it's really close to the Japanese uh, Hitachi white steel um, it's there's one small difference, but it's you know really clean, really simple, and crazy hard. Tw- Sixty eight Rockwell it Holy quenches crap. too easy, so that that steel will take on crate like really crazy hamons for sure. Um, so I don't know when you get your heat treat oven, you might want to check that out. I know Alpha Knife Supply has it, and without ever using it, I'm obsessed with it. I just like I want to use it so <laughs> bad, but it needs you have to soak it at a pretty pretty tight temperature so uh, i i don't know why i like it so much I, I just like the idea of it i dream that it's the perfect steel and i haven't i have no idea why so i mention it on the show all the time though it's my favorite steel i've never used or seen and well why'd i bring that up <laughs> so <laughs> because it gets so hard it'll it'll take on a, a moan and i assume it'll a gentle etch like lemon juice would bring a hormone out better on that than it would on something with a lower carbon like ten ninety five, is the point I was trying to make. But that's a completely uneducated point, so maybe disregard that. So you're just etching in ferric chloride and then polishing out with just an abrasive polish?
0: Uh, yeah. Um, I don't. The thing about my ferric chloride solution is, I I kind of forgot the concentration of it so and since i have it in a pvc tube that's open to the air the level of it changes because the water evaporates so my concentration is never the same so it whenever i do a hormone, it's kind of pull it out and see how much it's etched and then i do it so there's really like no consistent time
1: hmm yeah i have no idea what mine is either i i switched it into a bigger container and just filled it the rest of the way with water so it's a yeah, quarter-ish, maybe. But ferriclore, it doesn't need to be strong. I I know a lot of people say they like theirs weaker. Um, A slower etch will be more consistent, and so on and so forth. Now, another thing that you brought up, too, was that you've been always really fascinated with Japanese blades. And... I I have too. It's some. It's one of the things that originally got me into it. Is I I've, I've always loved swords and knights and stuff since I was little, and then I found, katanas, and I thought they were the coolest thing. And so. Um, what makes you do Western style chef's knives instead of more Japanese if you've always been so interested in Japanese, blades?
0: Um, so I mentioned before that one of my greatest inspirations was Bob Kramer, and Bob Kramer's knives. They're just so thick. They're so thick at the heel. Like, I I just find that so aesthetically pleasing. Like, Japanese blades, Japanese chef knives. This this might be controversial, but I find that Western style chef's knives are more aesthetically pleasing than Japanese chef's knives. Even though, actually, there is no even though. Yeah, I I, I just <laughs> think that Westerns are more aesthetically pleasing, and I don't know if the function is better or not. Like. I feel like that's going to be a 50-50 for most people.
1: Well, that's how you cook. So the Japanese style involves, you know, a full... You lift the entire knife off of the cutting board, and it's a chop, whereas the, you know, Western is a rocking motion most of the time.
0: Oh. Oh, that makes sense.
1: So, yeah, you know, Japanese cooks and who've, who've been taught to cut that way will always like a flatter profile, Whereas Western, that's why you get these big bellies and sometimes the heel isn't even the highest point because that gives you a crazy amount of rocking. Which is nice if you if you cook like that. And then you know, Japanese steels are almost always harder, so it's it's harder to sharpen, but Japanese knives are sharpened on whetstones, whereas and you don't touch bones or anything, whereas you know, a Western chef's knife will be softer. And you can touch it up with a steel instead. You'd never touch a steel to a Japanese, a, a real Japanese blade. And so, yeah, it's definitely just a lot of preference. I, I've always just liked the idea of Japanese chef's knives, and I love the look, and I find it easier to make. So I've always, I'm, I'm into that. But sorry, you was, sounded like you had some uh, thought.
0: Uh, oh, no, I was just going to say that it was interesting that the defining characteristic was the
1: rocking motion. Oh yeah, that's not how you've been designing your blades uh not really. like my design process
0: for blades it, it people might think this is weird, but i don't really I don't draw any blade designs I just so when I forge like I have an image in my brain, and then I sort of forge it so that I have the freedom to grind it down to the final profile that I like, and I do most of my like blade shape processing on the grinder as opposed to like uh forging it to a picture of something yeah so yeah
1: well and after you've done you know 10 or 15 kitchen knives you understand what works and like i've found at this point like when you start it's always disproportionate they're always thick everyone starts so crazy thick because you know how could you make it that thin and it'll work but it always does yeah and and tips i noticed that you can tell a new knife maker or someone inexperienced in designing knives based off of the tip and you know most people don't want to make it very acute do you know what i mean yeah, for so like sure. you'll see drop tips where it almost goes up before it comes down and i always find and all my old knives look like that too um and so there's a couple things that you can see when someone doesn't know how to design a knife, but, you know, me and me and you were sort of getting to the point now, I, I'm just coming up on the point where I don't draw m- stuff much anymore either. I'll just go out and forge out a blade and I see what it, you know, it comes out Santoku, it comes out Giotto, Giotto, gi- although I I call mine chef knife, paring knife, you know, <laughs> Um. I'm pretty loose. I'm not a traditional knife maker. I sort of do my thing, but, you know, yeah, same thing. You come out with an image in your head and you understand what works. You understand the basic, you know, a couple things that you're looking for, the heel height you maybe want and the length, and then everything else sort of falls into place from there, I find. Yeah, and for sure. I think there are sort of three things I pick when I'm, you know, mentally designing a knife is I think uh, what heel height I want uh the length I want and then if I want more of like an upswept shape or like a downswept so like a chef's knife where the tip sweeps up more or like a santoku where the tip you know the spine curves down to the edge is sort of how I think about oh are you still there Yeah, yeah I'm here oh sweet Sorry, I didn't hear you say anything. So, there are definitely a couple things that you look for. And handle shaping is something that I'm... Like, I didn't pay much attention to handles until March this year. And so, now that I'm finally thinking about it, I'm figuring out what I like. And, you know, the design process starts to just... A knife is a simple thing. It's not like a piece of furniture which almost has to be designed more a knife you can definitely make it up on the fly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, we've talked about, you know, what you do in the shop, which is excellent. And while well, you're obviously a person, so what do you do when you, you know, what do you do when you get out of the shop? What 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 are you into?
0: So, through all of high school, I've I've played the cello like I played it for nine years. Um, I would say that I'm decent at cello, but it, it's it's not really something that like I, eh, I I'm not the person that goes out after making a knife and go plays the cello like that. I I'd practice it, but I wouldn't like play it for fun. Um, but other than that, I. I play video games, of course, because I'm a teenager, and you can't really be a male teenager and not play any video games. Um, Yeah, I've recently gotten into Valorant, and the game can be fun, but it can also be so very infuriating, and you want to throw your computer out of like a 10-story building and hope it never survives. Um, And other than that, I watch a lot of YouTube, of course. Like, Who doesn't watch a lot of YouTube? Oh, yeah. Eating food is also pretty fun. Yeah, food's good. <laughs> Love food. Yeah, that's pretty much. Like there there's a f- there's more things, but not there're things that come up as the day progresses rather than like me going to those things as the day goes on, so
1: yeah. Yeah, so you're a teenage boy. You eat, sleep, video games, knives, the yeah. usual. <laughs> Sweet. You know, that's not even a question I thought to ask people, but I had some people on the on the podcast Instagram at Young Makers Podcast, and um, they were asking, you know, ask the guests what they like and what do they do. So that's pretty cool. And another question that I always like to ask, because I feel like it's a struggle for all makers who are not full-time, not just young makers, but how do you balance, you know, school or, you know, if I... Did you say you did work a part-time job too?
0: Uh, I did, but I don't work it anymore because of COVID. Okay. And I've really just been focusing on knives for income.
1: All right. So how do you balance uh, school and knives? So,
0: hmm, yeah, that's a good question. Because I feel like it's different for a lot of people. Um, for me, schoolwork doesn't really take too long because like, I'm the kind. I'm not the kind of person to be doing schoolwork and watching YouTube at the same time. I sort of. If I do schoolwork, I do schoolwork, and when I do schoolwork, I want to make sure it's efficient and get it done as quick as possible. So, not a large, not a huge percentage of my day is actually filled up with doing schoolwork. So, at that point, it's just what do I have to work on? That's knives, and is it worth working on as opposed to like relaxing and watching YouTube? And for me, it it's not really me wanting to make knives it's if people want to like buy them i have like if i have a commission i'll be working on that but if i if don't um and i'm just working on something for fun like it's it's sort of a 50 50 balance of that and just relaxing and watching youtube like i know if you're following my account you know about big kev (laughs) yeah big kev um he's sitting on the grinder desk in my garage right now waiting to be worked on um i'm i think i'm gonna take a break a few day break after finishing these two knives so and yeah for the balance it there's not really a set balance it's just what do i feel like is most worth working on or like relaxing
1: yeah it's pretty loose yeah, I'm terrible. I'm really terrible, and I mention it every episode. I'm I'm awful at you know managing my time and getting into the shop. Um, I and uh, another thing I mention all the time. I play sports. I have you know boxing classes and stuff after school, and so I've figured out. I've worked out a schedule with everything where Wednesday I have nothing after school, and if I can convince myself to abandon my friends and come make knives, then that's sort of my day for it. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, mm-hmm. I try and get in as much as I can. Um, so yeah, that's mine. I say oh, yeah. it all the time, though.
0: I forgot to mention a few things. <laughs> oh, for sure, go ahead. Uh, so you brought up sports, and I f- I completely forgot to mention sports. <laughs> like in high school, I was a I was a track runner, a basketball player, and a swimmer. But I mainly focused on track because that's what I was most good at. Um, so a lot of my time is spent doing fitness things. Like I go to the gym three, four times a week. I've, I've just recently gotten back into going to the gym because of COVID. And that's been pretty fun. Um, I mentioned track, um, I, I'm not exactly like a state champion runner, but I'm pretty decent at it. And a lot of my time used to be spent running, relaxing and cooling my brain down, um. I did run a marathon last December which was pretty cool. It was the probably dumbest decision I've ever made in my life because I gave myself 1 month to train for it, but <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so,
1: are you a long distance runner or a sprinter?
0: Um Yeah, I'm a long distance runner. Yeah. Um I I'm not too bad at sprinting though. Like a lot of people if they call themselves a long distance runner, they can't run a sprint to save their life, but Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I do I do all the school sports. I like to say I sit on all the te- I sit on all the benches. Um <laughs> sort of like mediocre at every sport, so you know, I do track and I run 4 and 800 because nobody else does. So hey. it's the one I can get <laughs> into there. Um, and yeah, all all the sports, I I can't bring myself to work out like to actually take the time to work out. So instead, I just, you know, right now is volleyball season, or I'll go out, you know, there's a hoop near my house, I'll play basketball or shoot around, or I do, you know, boxing and jujitsu. and so I just call that my workout. I can't bring myself to actually sit down and work out, but I think it's it's good enough. I'll never be a state champion, even, well, it would be extra hard for me to be a state champion because I don't live in a state, but. You know you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Provincial champion. Doesn't have the same ring to it, but... I'm glad I don't... I gotta, I gotta say, I, this might raise some controversy, but I gotta admit that I'm glad I don't live in the States right now. <laughs> hey, you guys have some stuff going on.
0: Yeah, fires.
1: Oh yeah, I even forgot about that. There's lots going on. And you said yeah. you ran an, a marathon in December, which yeah. to my Canadian brain sounds insane. <laughs> you <know? laughs> oh, You can't do anything in the winter. December is definitely minus 35, so. Dang. Well, not constantly. This minus 20 is pretty standard, though. 15. Lucky. 15 all day. <laughs> it's cold as heck. But you live, you said Arizona? Yeah. So I'm sure it's just toasty.
0: Oh yeah. Like we're we're lucky to get under a hundred degrees. Like there was a week back in like July where it was averaging around one ten and that was that was complete hell. It was so bad.
1: Really? Yeah. One ten. Yeah, let me let me go with Celsius to Fahrenheit here. Cause I know I know that the overlap is minus forty is the same in both. Mm-hmm. Um that's crazy though What, well, 110 43 degrees celsius are you serious yeah <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't get that hot here it's maybe like once and then it would definitely make the news for the next 20 years we do like this day in history would be the hottest day on record for sure 43 degrees that'll yeah, kill it's, you That's crazy <laughs> wow Yeah, here it hits maybe 30 degrees, so I don't know how hot is that, 70, 80?
0: It's, ooh, 86.
1: Yeah, that's that's maybe, like, that's heat wave weather for sure. That's as hot as it gets here. Ah, lucky man. (laughs) Yeah, I gotta say, it's pretty mild summers here. It was rainy this year. But... So I guess there's, there's one more question that I really wanted to ask you, especially because you talked about, you know, from a young age being told that knife making isn't a sustainable business or it's not, you know, reliable enough to rely on. Um, So what do your, what does your family think about knife making or, you know, what's their opinion on it?
0: So for my mom and dad, like they, they think it's cool. Like they thought it was cool enough that they would invest a lot more money than I care to admit into like starting it up. Like my dad was the one that bought me my first anvil, my first two by 72 grinder and all of the small tools that got me there along the way. Like whenever I make a a new knife, like I show it to them and they're like, just to like show them my improvement in the knife making. And I, I think that's what really gives them like, how do i say this it shows them that it was worth it to invest in me like at a younger age so yeah they they think it's cool and there's some point in my senior year where i was like i want to become a knife maker and they were like no and yeah they yeah they, that didn't go down too well and i've i've kind of accepted it at this point like i i, I understand where they're coming from like they don't want me to sort of work my ass off every day when I'm 30, trying to support my family. But yeah, as for my siblings, I have two siblings. I have a younger brother and an older sister. Uh, my older sister is working right now in Chicago, and my younger brother is a junior in high school, so he's about to enter the college application process. Um, it, it's it's sort of how every sibling feels about another sibling's like hobbies, like how... A sibling would look at their older brother who plays basketball. It's sort of just like that. Like, it's it's not really too special to like another sibling.
1: Yeah, it's cool, but it's whatever. Yeah, and my brother doesn't listen to my podcast. I wonder <laughs> if he can hear me. It's fine. I don't. I don't. You know, I don't make him listen to it. It's just, yeah. It's definitely the same thing. They they think it's cool. Um. So yeah, that's pretty interesting to hear though. And I guess we're we're getting really close to wrapping up the episode, which I say, I like to say it three times before we wrap up the episode. So count <laughs> that as one. Um so we've got two more things I want to ask you. One of them I forgot to tell you about, so you're going to need to think about someone who's been inspiring you recently or someone who's taught you something recently, just a maker that's, you know, influenced your work in some way in the past week. I'll let you start thinking about that. (laughs) I guess I sprung that on you right now. But I think that a nice way as the last serious question to ask, and a nice way to wrap it up, is why do you do it? What is it about knives that draws you back time after time? Because it's really not easy to make a knife. And for a lot of people, I feel like it's not worth it. You know, it's not worth it to make something with your hands even. So what draws you back every time?
0: So the why question is a, I feel like it's a pretty complicated question. Like it's a big one. Yeah. It's really subjective and you can really say anything and it'd be a valid answer. But, and there's people that I've read on the forum sometimes that people say that they do it just because it, they're like, it's cool and that it's a good way to spend your time, but me personally I mean, I was obsessed with knives at a young age, like really obsessed. Like if we were going on a, a trip to maybe Yellowstone and we went to one of the trading stores, like if I saw a knife there, that was handmade, I would implode. I would literally like beg my mom and dad to be like, Mom, Dad, can I can I get it please, 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 please. I, I <laughs> like it, it's crazy and I'd say I have a I'd have a twenty percent success rate in asking them for a knife, and yeah, I I wanted to bring that up. So part of yeah part of it was me wanting to get more knives and really learn how to make them, which is uh, I, I feel like I've, I eh, I don't know if that's a common thing, but that's one of the things for me. Um, another one it's building off of the cool aspect. Like you watch the YouTube videos of the Japanese Smiths making Katanas from scratch. You watch man at arms before, you watch Alex steel, like it, it just so inspiring, like that you can create something out of raw material and make it look good and give it a purpose. Like doing that is just so cool. And it's better than just playing a video game all day or, just doing yeah. something that isn't that won't be remembered, yeah.
1: Yeah, so would you consider yourself a process person or a product person? Hmm, so, so I,
0: uh, yeah, I don't know yeah. if I can say I'm either because if I said I was a process person, then I'd be ignoring the fact that if you spent 30 hours on a knife and the knife to most eyes, isn't, like, really that good. Like, uh, I don't know how to really say this in a way that isn't, like, targeting. Like, when I, I'll, I'll just target myself then. When I first started, I thought I could sell my knives for, like, 100 bucks because I spent, like, 10 hours on them. But that's not really how it works. Like, you have to reach a certain level of product to be able to pay yourself for the process like yeah I I can't really say I'm either I'm 50 50
1: like for me I I really enjoy having made something and having something that I've made so I definitely consider myself to be a product person you know and I enjoy and I do enjoy the process but it's the product that keeps me coming back for more it's alright, I made something, now I wanna, you know, make something else. So there's an idea in my head and I want the product. Whereas for some people I find they they do it just because they enjoy every step of it. Or oh. except hand sanding it, you know. But
0: yeah. Oh, I think I I might have processed the question a little bit wrong. If I was Yeah, I if it was the way that you interpret it, I'd probably consider myself a product person. Like, yeah, I, I, I can't see myself doing all of the work that goes into a knife and not getting any results. Like, I feel like some people might call that character building, but I just find that a waste of time. If Like, if there's no product from the process then the process is worthless. So yeah, I guess I'm a product person then.
1: Yeah. Well, that's interesting because when I first started asking this question... I thought, you know, it would be a resounding, well, product, of course I don't, you know, making knives sucks, but I love having the knife that I made, and I thought everyone would say that, and it would be a boring question, and I'd have to get rid of it, but so far, it's actually been largely processed people. Oh, really? And a lot of people, you know, maybe 60, 70 percent have said, yeah, I just love doing it, which surprised me. Maybe I just don't appreciate it enough, but I definitely love it. I definitely do. So, you know, that's that brings us to the end of the show about us. Uh, there's, I've got no more important questions for you, but I wanted to, you know, I, I definitely didn't steal the idea from Community Showcase on Knife Talk or anything. But I like to think I put my own spin. I like to think it's different. That's what I tell myself. So every, almost every week, I try to. Pick someone who's been inspiring me and just show them to you guys so they can inspire you too. And or, you know, someone that I've learned something from. Uh so first, you know, some unofficial ones. I'd like to shout out Josh Smith Knives, who's had an episode on here too, if you guys want to check that out. He's a Master Smith. And Tim Martell Art yeah, I think that's it. At Josh Smith Knives on Instagram and at Tim Martell art. I'm sure if you look it up you'll find them. Um I was grinding some stainless, uh, they're the spacers in my handles, and I posted on my story, oh, this sucks, and they both responded to me and gave me some really great advice for it, so I just wanted to shout those guys out for helping me out with some stuff I'm going to use next time, uh, just two really knowledgeable people for sure, but, you know, my person whose Instagram account just, like, every time I look at it, it, it's just crazy to me how... I don't know. Awesome, their stuff is. Um, sorry, I'm just trying to find it right now. Sort. It is, uh, Cheyenne Wheel Jewelry, and I'm a knife maker, but jewelry is cool. And this this lady makes. So she carves it out of wax, and then you know it's cast into gold or yeah, I think it's mostly gold, a little bit of silver all that stuff and it's like leaves and flowers and like all these natural things like made so well and like birds and everything carved into the jewelry it's so beautiful and it looks so alive and like flowing and it's oh it's it's stunning and it makes me really want to do jewelry it really inspires me to get into something like that where it's almost more creative than knives You know, that's not to say there aren't fantastic art knives, but I feel like it's a little bit looser with other things that serve less function. So it's just really inspired to me, inspiring to me, and just really beautiful. I even put it on my Instagram story because every post she puts up, I'm just like absolutely stunned. It's so beautiful. So, yeah, that's that's mine. At Cheyenne Wheel Jewelry. And these these Instagram accounts or websites or whatever you like, as lo- along with um, both of our personal Instagram accounts and the podcast Instagram account will all be in the show description or show notes, depending on, you know, what you're listening on. So Jesse, you got someone in mind?
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I, it, my person isn't really someone that, not a lot of people know about it. It's someone that's really well known, but he's well known because he's so amazing at what he does. It's Kyle Royer. Um, every single time I see him either forging a knife or making guards or like just working on the knife process in general, he has little tricks and tidbits on what he's learned from the past. So like he's, he's someone just by looking at him do his work, you know that he's been doing it for a long time. And like just watching his build guy, his build videos on YouTube, looking through his Instagram posts, like you can't walk away from one of them not having to learn something. And I've learned so much from him, so, so incredibly much. And he's one of the people that builds most of his tools as opposed to buying them, which I guess is also really inspiring. And yeah, also just looking at his past pieces is so, so inspiring. Like it, it, it's amazing. I have no further words. <laughs>
1: yeah. Kyle Royer is a master smith, and well does he deserve that title. He's clearly a master of his craft. Um, lots of swords, fighters, bowies, Damascus, crazy mosaic Damascus. He is, you know, definitely, definitely a master smith uh, in more than just name. And so, well, he's he's been mentioned on the show before, too, but he deserves it, and... Any young or new knife makers, makers in general, should definitely check him out. He is very educational. His YouTube channel is fantastic. He knows what he's talking about, and he's so clean and precise. So I'll I'll put my two cents in on him. He's great too. And I don't I don't like link people on the Instagram account just because I feel like you know I don't know if they want our little podcast bothering them with tags or anything, but. <laughs> So he has no idea we talk about him every week, but, you know, he's great. So, Anyways, I think to quote Craig Lockwood of the Knife Talk podcast, that's a show. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Young Makers podcast brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. That's a pretty good impression, too. <laughs> so I'm not just a fantastic podcast host. I'm also a fantastic impersonator. Impressionist? No. Don't worry about it. All that you need to worry about is leaving this show a review, good or bad. You know, don't you know? Just tell me what you think about the show. I would love to hear it. And reviews help us out a lot. I don't know if any podcast services have likes, but if if that is a thing, you know, give it a thumbs up or a like. I'm not very educated in technology, so don't quote me on this. But we are. Bro- I come. This show comes out every Tuesday at five a.m. Mountain Standard Time, so that it's, you know, uh, so that it's right there when you're on your way to work if you live in the States or Canada. So, yeah, listen to it on your Tuesday morning. Tuesday every day. It's brought to you by the Makery, which is a fantastic network of a bunch of podcasts made by makers for makers. Um, it's great. I listen to all the shows. Well, mo- yeah, I listen to the shows all the time. It's, you know, great to keep you company in the shop. And so yeah, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed. Uh Jesse, if you don't have anything, do you have any words of wisdom to drop on them?
0: Uh I think I've dropped most of my wisdom through my answers. So yeah. <laughs> anything I come up with now will just be a repeat.
1: Nobody has any wise words at the end of the show. I always open it up and nobody's ever got anything. At this point, it's just a joke. You know? But So thank you so much, Jesse, for coming on the show. You've been a fantastic and really knowledgeable guest, so I'm really glad to have had you on. And yeah, It's been fun. Hope you guys are all having a fantastic day, and until next time, keep making, keep listening.